Welcome into We Are SD Game Day. This is Eric McKinney, joined by Greg Katz and Daryl Rideau, and it's Crosstown Showdown Week. UCLA is coming to the Coliseum on Saturday, and, and let's go ahead. It feels like the last couple of weeks, you know, a couple road wins, and I think surprising that they got those two road wins based on kind of what we thought at the beginning of the year. Those looked like a couple tough trips back-to-back. Of course, you got to play against some backup quarterbacks uh, against UCLA. Different story. That they, they've got their quarterback, they've got their running back that USC got got to know all too well last year. Greg, let, let's jump into it. Your your sort of overall thoughts about uh, re- really? I, I guess I'm gonna I'm gonna pump the brakes a little bit. The UCLA rivalry, USC UCLA. Uh, we talked a little bit about it with Notre Dame. We got into that a little bit. Uh, give me kind of your thoughts on on the rivalry overall and what you really like about these USC-UCLA games. Well, it's the Hatfields and the McCoys. I mean, it's really uh, – I, I don't – I tell you what, the, the best thing you say about this rivalry, people that don't follow college football, people who went to other schools other than SC-UCLA, they have a rooting interest, you know, uh, people I know who never, ever care about college football will say, well, I hope SC beats UCLA because I can't stand UCLA, or vice versa. So the intensity is there. One thing that I've learned over the 50-some years of watching them play, the truth is it's really a case where you can throw the records out the window. I remember in 1962, my first year of watching USC, SC was number one in the country, and UCLA gave them all they could handle with an inferior team. And then I remember the Norman Dow upset of USC back in the 60s, which was killer. And then I remember, you know, Gary Beaven throwing long passes, killer. John Barnes upset. It always seemed that if there was a team that's going to upset a team, it was always UCLA upsetting USC, which may have been a compliment to USC because they were so strong, you know, over the generations. But you know something? You just never know how it goes. But one thing I can tell you, it's going to be nasty. If it doesn't start in the first quarter, it will get nasty in the second and the third. I'm sure Daryl can speak to that. Yeah, and it's one of those games where it doesn't feel like there's a lot on the line this year. UCLA, you know, can't get to the the Pac-12 championship. USC needs some help from Utah to lose one of their two games. And so when UCLA lost to Utah – last week it, it took a little bit out of this game because this game could have been had, had UCLA gone and won at Utah this game is likely for the the Pac-12 South championship uh to go play in that conference championship game Daryl you played in some of these UCLA USC games what what stands right. up to you about it well for me Eric and coach it's this right here <laughs> okay me as a freshman 20 years ago marks the date that Chad Morton predicted that we would defeat uh, UCLA after, what, eight tumultuous years of USC being on the the wrong side of that rivalry. And that right there being the mouth of the South, Freddie Mitchell. It doesn't get any better than that. Now, (laughs) (laughs) you know, that was at a time when, again, USC, we lost our starting quarterback in Carson Palmer, and they lost their starting quarterback, Corey Paz, both being lost for the season to collarbone injuries. And I'll never forget, our records were horrible. And for me, it just felt like the toilet bowl because we weren't playing for nothing, but we really were playing for pride. And that pride resonates on the field all week. Just the intensity, the magnitude, the the focus that the seniors gave in practice, the hits felt a little bit more crisp. 
you recovered a lot faster from any injuries from the week before. And the, the seniors will scold you if you didn't spend that extra rep or that extra time either in the weight room or film study. It meant that much. Then as I go through the community, I remember parking on the street in Westwood and getting a ticket because I had a USC license plate on. I mean, it's just a lot of different things come into consideration when you talk about what this rivalry means to the community, to uh, you know, virtually two universities separated by less than 12 miles. But for me, when it comes to what is being said and what is being played on the field, I didn't really care what the record was because I just wanted to beat the guy that I saw in my community that I played against in high school and I in probably the guy that I tried to take his girlfriend. So whatever the case may be, you run across these guys all the time and it doesn't feel, there's nothing sweeter about living in LA, going to a Laker or Clipper game, knowing that you beat that Bruin on the opposite side, looking at you and staring at you because they can't do anything for 364 days. Yeah, and that did creep through this week when you heard from coaches, from players. They said these are these are people we see all the time. I mean, a ton of these guys played high school football with and against each other, youth football with and against each other. For the most part, the players were were quiet about that. They wanted to say, you know, it's it's just a game. We're gonna prep like we always do, and we'll go out. But but it creeped through. There, there were a few guys. You know, this means a lot. This means kind of everything for the season right now. That there's a lot on the line. If you lose this game, it's a whole lot to deal with for a long time. USC has been dealing with that. UCLA was able to come back and win a game at the Rose Bowl last year. Greg, let's talk USC offense. That was kind of the story of last week at Cal. They were able to run off a bunch of points and put that game away. It feels like maybe another day for for the passing game. Eden Slovis and those wide receivers – you know, UCLA, where, where they rank uh, in, in kind of pass efficiency defense, clearly at the bottom of the Pac-12, pass defense down toward the bottom of, of the Pac-12, too. This is a team that's been thrown against a lot. Uh, and, and when you're USC, you certainly are seeing those numbers and you like what you see going into this matchup. Well, you know, it's really interesting to me because what I don't understand uh, is why teams play USC receivers man-to-man. Utah did it, and they got killed. Cal did it, they got killed. I don't know if it's stubbornness or whatever it is, but it's plain stupid. My feeling is I don't think Chip Kelly is stupid. Uh, and based on the statistics that you've given uh, the viewers, you know, the bottom line is UCLA is not going to come out man-to-man. And if they do, they're going to see 60 points on the board, just like Washington State put on them in Pullman. You know, we know that USC can score. And SC should score. And what we don't know is how SC's running game, I mean, they only had 19 yards last week against Cal, which is like, really? I think, uh, you know, uh, you know, Reggie Bush would have 19 yards and two carries. But, you know, that being said, you know, this is what USC is. Now everyone's getting all fired up. You know, they're at the top of their game. And, but you know what? Consider who they're playing. You know, Cal – I do respect a little bit of what, what the Trojans did against Cal because Cal had a legitimate good defense. The strategy was horrible, but the bottom line is, is you know what? This could be a high-scoring game. Uh, if SC on defense, and Daryl will talk to that, you know, it, it could be in the 30s, high 30s. Uh, might be the most entertaining game we've seen. 
So we'll see. I mean, I think UCLA will try to, you know, take away the field for Slovis. And uh, somewhere, somehow, someone's going to emerge that wasn't a star is going to be a star in this game offensively. I don't know. Maybe it'll be, you know, Keenan Christian. Somebody's going to emerge. Yeah, the, the run game is going to be interesting. It, it looks like there's a chance that Vavai Malapaya will be back uh, for USC. It, it he maybe felt close against Cal, but he practiced this week. Uh, another week of kind of Stephen Carr healthy. And then you mentioned Keenan Christian. Uh, who knows if he'll still be kind of the lead guy if both those others are, are back and fully healthy. It, it does feel like USC needs to at least get a little bit on the ground, but then you say that, and then Keenan Slovis goes out and throws for over 400 yards. So so maybe not. Maybe you just rely on, on, on Michael Pittman having another phenomenal game and Drake London, you know, raising his game and Almond Rice St. Brown uh, doing the same thing. What, what do you see sort of up front? We, we got, a, a you know, the first full taste of Justin Dietrich at center against Cal as he steps in for an injured Brett Nealon. Did, what did you like about up front or, or where are there still concerns? Again, you mentioned kind of the run game numbers still not there uh, against the Cal defense that is, is better, I think, up front than they were in the secondary. Well, I think the USC is going to be what, you, what USC has been the entire season. I mean, you know, it's not like we're in the third game. We're going into the 12th game. They are what they are. Uh, you know, I don't think UCLA's front is uh, exactly, you know, the Pittsburgh Steelers under mean Joe Green. But I think that SC puts a lot of pressure on their own offense because they run no misdirection, because they run no draws or screens. As, as people who follow these videos have probably heard me harp on this every single week. But maybe this is the week they're going to do it. Uh, I will say this, you know, Slovis is – I got to hand it to him. He is really good. And he is really mobile. You know, people thought he wasn't mobile, but you look at some of the pass rush on him. I mean, he, he starts to feel it and he gets out of the pocket. He extends plays. Uh, you know, and again, I agree with Clay Helton. I mean, his interceptions, he, I mean, he's had a game where there's three interceptions, but you know something, he hasn't thrown any. Uh, but again, the one thing that we have to keep in mind is this is SC versus UCLA. Keaton Slovis and all the younger ones, they know that this is the big game. And, the, you know, hopefully the Coliseum will be close to full, if not full. I think one uh, player to really key on, uh, from my perspective, is Drake London. I think Drake London could really do damage to the UCLA secondary if UCLA elects to take Pittman out of the game and double-team him. I think London... And even Justin Dietrich, the fact that he's got a couple of games under his belt now, you know, it's a good thing. It's going to be exciting to watch. And, uh, you know, I mean, if they decide to throw the ball 50 times, I mean, that's what they do. Uh, but I think, you know, are they going to throw it to the tight end? I, you know, that, that's kind of been a question all year. The, the Drake London thing to me is, is interesting because it feels like defenses, they know what to do with, when, when you have a Michael Pittman. Not, not that they've been able to stop him, but it's like, okay, Arizona State comes in, there's one wide receiver you key on. You know, a lot of these other teams, uh, Pac-12 programs, they understand, okay, we got to take this one receiver out. It feels like they have no clue what to do when now all of a sudden there, there's a Tyler Vons and an Amon Ross St. Brown and a, and a Drake London, and that's where 
those guys seem really dangerous where it's just it, it's almost like opposing teams just aren't ready for how good some of those other guys are so I, I'm with you I, I think some of those you know you hesitate to call them secondary receivers because they've been that good but some of those other guys I, I think have a chance to step up and, and really make a mark in this game Daryl we're gonna go to you speaking of making a mark last year's game UCLA UCLA tailback Joshua Kelly sets a USC-UCLA record for rushing yards in a game. I think it was just over 600 or 700. He, he got to – Ridiculous. He, he, he goes for 289 against USC last year. And it was clear, at least to me, that that was a, a big reason that you make a change at defensive line coach and that you talked a lot all offseason and all season about – gap responsibility and, and maintaining lanes and, and all of that. USC's rush defense is 10th in the Pac-12 this season. So it's not like all of a sudden they flipped a switch and they've figured it all out. But specifically in that matchup, in the UCLA run game against the USC rush defense, which feels like on that side of the ball, that's going to determine what happens right. uh, you know, whenever UCLA has the ball. What do you see there? How do you see that playing out? I mean, when you think about UCLA, you obviously you start with their running game. Obviously, if if Dorian uh, Thompson Robinson DTR gets going, the offense can be as balanced as one needs to be. But everything starts with that running game. And Joshua Kelly, you talked about him coming off of last year's 289 performance, but now he seems to have a one-two punch with Demetric Felton. This is a kid, uh, a very explosive running back that has four carries over 75 yards. It's ridiculous. You get him in the open, in open space, it's pay dirt. And that's the type of speed that Chip Kelly likes on the edge. So that little one-two combo can give USC a lot of fits. And primarily because of the, the way that the offensive line executes their zone blocks. At times, you, you'll find additional offensive linemen. We call it end over slot, where perhaps a tight end is next to the guard. And then on the opposite side of that, you have two guards, two tackles. I mean, just these different variations with big bodies. And what they're really trying to do is, is see how smart you are. They'll move around combinations, adjustments, and now force everyone to be accountable for the running game. And for USC, that hasn't always boded well, bode well when you ask the secondary to now fit and replace and run fits. Losing Christian Rector in the first quarter due to last week's um, uh, targeting be, Christian Rector will be he'll, he'll be ready to go from the, the game he sat out the sat out the rest of the first half and then all the second half against Cal so he, he's good okay. to go against UCLA okay then then great having him and Drake Jackson will help because although USC's rush defense ranks 10th in the Pac-12 over the last few weeks they've seemed to figure a lot out Eric in, in terms of just really being sound in their gap protection and I think much of that has to do with the consistency of getting Talanala Hufanga back and Isaiah Palomalu. What they mean, you know, shoring up those A-gap blitzes. But for USC, it's really going to come down to, we talk a lot about the edge rushers, but for me, I think it's what happens opposite of, of, um, of John Houston at the wheel position. It's been by committee all year. And, and for that, whether it's Kanai Mauga starting the game or, you know, the rotation that they seem to have there, whatever type of production they get out of there, cannot afford any unnecessary penalties and they have to be where they need to be in other words they have to if they're asked to seal the c-gap in the edges make sure you are where you need to be and be the hammer not the nail in other words move 
all of the um, action back into your interior part of your defensive line. If they have success early on, I think that'll bode well. But if we notice that they're struggling with those pass protections and runs, it's going to allow UCLA to do what they really want to do, play action pass, get DTR outside of the pocket, and really cause havoc for USC. This is an offense that's capable of putting up 67 points, but this is also an offense that's capable of being shut down, as we saw last week uh, against Utah. Yeah, what what do you do sort of in the in the secondary? Is this a game where you just you you bring eight guys down in the box and you, and you load that and then you deal with what what you can uh, in terms of your secondary? Uh, UCLA on the outside, there's Kyle Phillips, the wide receiver, who again it's another one of those teams where their top wide receiver in terms of numbers gets dwarfed by about three of, of the, the top USC wide receivers. Right. Uh, Devin Asiasi at, at tight end, he's a guy who's kind of come on a little bit. And USC started the season with just this unbelievable run of opposing tight ends that were just incredibly talented. And that stopped a little bit in recent weeks. They haven't been challenged by that tight end. They're, they're going to get another test there. But how do you kind of organize your defense to attack this UCLA offense? Well, there's the conventional way that we'll talk about with, with Clancy Pendergast, but then there's also the way that I would approach it. And sure. over the last few weeks, I'll start with what I would do against this uh, Oregon offense. I think you would you – UCLA, UCLA offense. I mean, I'm sorry, a UCLA offense. Um, you feature a cover two shell, two high safeties, and since USC likes to feature a lot of nickelback coverage with Greg Johnson and Chase Williams and et cetera, mm -hmm. I would run, it's called nickel two star. Everybody plays, it's almost like in basketball, a box in one. Everybody plays cover two. And I would just have Elijah Griffin locked up on Kyle Phillips. Take him out of the game. Everywhere else, I would make sure that the that all the, sec, the, the remaining members of the secondary had to be accounting for in terms of their run fits. But since this is Clancy we're talking about, they're probably going to go a lot of man, no high, uh, no, safe, uh, no high safety, or what they call cover zero. So expect much of that. And it, early on, they will have success because they'll have more bodies than UCLA probably can block. But the problem is, as the game wears on, after you get out of your, your, your scripted plays, Chip Kelly is great at improvising from that. But we need to see how much of a counterpuncher will Clancy be in this type of game. This is a game where it, it's really a cerebral game. You have to be two steps ahead. So if you show a too high safety, maybe you go from a cover two showing that cloud technique and drop it back into quarters. Instead, you can't always show single high man safety and then creep the, uh, the, the extra def uh, defender in the box and leave your, your corners out to dry because DTR with time can hit those post uh, patterns as good as anybody in the Pac-12. Who do you see as, as kind of USC's defensive key? Is, is there one guy that could kind of, you know, make or break the game for them or, or maybe a, a position group that you're looking at? Yeah, for me, this is the game where the linebackers have to show up. I expect John Houston to have a multi-tackle game. But again, I talked about that will position primarily because that's where USC appears to be, for me, most vulnerable. 
if if the will position you can get consistent production without the penalties personal fouls unsportsmanlike conducts just a clean game from there i do think that usc up front has enough because you always talk about their interior defensive linemen there's no doubt about it marlon tui tulopu and brandon peely and those guys up front will take care of business but what you get on the edges from christian rector and drake jackson the way that they've been playing complimentary football i like what i see up there but it's just that linebacker position seems to be for me the weakest but this is truly a game where a guy like Isaiah Palomolo needs to have uh, another big game, a turnover or two, but you need to see some tackle for losses because that tells me that USC is playing on the right side of the line of scrimmage. So in, in a big game where anything can happen, most things do happen, but it usually comes from the guys that you depend upon week in and week out. And this is truly a game that's designed for the safeties to be the stars. All right, so we're going to take a little break from USC-UCLA, and I guess it fits a little bit, but Greg, I want to go back to you. The, the big kind of overarching question with the entire program right now rests on athletic director Mike Bone, head coach uh, Clay Helton. Where do they go from there? What, what is your feeling about – I mean, I'm just going to kind of open up the whole thing. What, what's your <laughs> feeling about sort of where things – stand right now I mean that there is a chance that this is Clay Helton's final game at USC I, I, I think that's kind of fair to say based on you know everything that that you kind of feel about the program everything that you hear there's also a chance that it's not I think I you know I, certainly there's nothing where he's come out and said we're making a move after this game where, where do you get the sense that, that things are right now and and I guess it's also how do you see this playing out, uh, both what you feel should happen and then maybe what could happen? Whoa. <laughs> uh, there's Go ahead, a lot do it of all. layers. Do it's, it all. Not, it's not as simple as it looks. Simplistically, he gets fired after this game in the sense that if SC loses, they're done. The South is over. You got about 72 hours. They have the football banquet on Sunday night and uh, you make a move. That's the simplistic answer. The more complicated answer is that if SC wins, we have to find out what Utah does at Arizona. And we, obviously, if I'm a betting man, I'm saying, you know, Utah is gonna cream Arizona. And then we wait another week, and, uh, you know, Utah will uh, dispense of Colorado and Salt Lake City, uh, City, and now the clock begins to move, except for one, couple of problems here as some of our viewers might be aware of uh, there are things being leaked into the press one came from uh, Bruce Feldman who's claiming that a source told him that uh, Mike Bone the athletic director really likes Clay Hilton okay there's number one number two we saw the Times article where uh, Bone says I'm in no hurry uh, you know I'd rather take time and get the decision right, then, you know, force it quick. You know, Bone said that recruiting was really important at his press conference. You were there sitting right next to me. Well, what did he say in the Times article? Well, really, we have a small recruiting class, and, uh, you know, we want to get this thing right. Well, then Peter Thamel of Yahoo Sports comes out with this big expose about it would cost SC 
uh, something like $20 million to get rid of Helton and his staff and hire a new person. The fact that these are all coming in the same week, to me, is a little suspicious. Uh, I think that there is some part of it that tells me that, the, you know, it's not a done deal, that, you know, that there is a possibility. I mean, obviously, if SC somehow gets through the back door and gets to the Pac-12 title game and loses, he could still lose his job. But if they win, they go to the Rose Bowl. You're not going to fire him if he goes to the Rose Bowl. I'm sorry. Uh, you know, you cannot justify that, in my opinion. But that being said, one has to question how much Bone really understands the frustration of USC's fan base and Carol Folk for the most part. I, you know, I know for a fact that they have been inundated with emails demanding that there be a change. I don't think what they understand is it's going to be a nuclear meltdown if Helton comes back. Nothing against Clay. He's a wonderful person. He's a, you can debate whether he's an average coach or he's a good coach. I don't think he's a national championship level coach. And they stress that, Folt and Bone both stress that in uh, Bone's introductory press conference. So where does that take us? What do I think? I think uh, before this week that Helton was going to be history. Okay. Something tells me, and it's a gut feeling, and I'm, I'm going to go with my gut here, that it's not a done deal, that we don't know how it's going to play out. And I know to many SC fans, they'll just go completely berserk hearing me say that. But then again, you know, it is what it is. If USC wins on, on Saturday and Utah wins on Saturday, it's going to extend it. So where do we stand? I say it's, you know, 90-10 that he's fired, but I think that 10% is a lot bigger than I thought it was a week ago. No, I, I agree with a lot of that. When Mike Bone was brought in, it felt like he's being brought in to make a, not a, not a decision on a head coach, but to make a choice of a new head coach. With everything that's kind of come out since then, it feels less and less like that is an absolute guarantee if I'm if I'm having to bet on this and guess my guess is still that like you said Utah wins on Saturday Utah wins the following Saturday USC is not in the Pac-12 championship game and this UCLA game is likely Clay Helton's last game as the head coach of USC it's it's not kind of the guarantee boy this is a slam dunk at, at least in, in my gut, like you said, the, the feeling. It could certainly be the case. And these could be a lot of words that are thrown out to kind of make, you know, to, to frame the coaching search or, or anything like that. Um, but I agree that it feels like there's more to this developing uh, than it felt like early on. Daryl, I, I want to open it up to you a little bit, kind of your thoughts. But I, I also want to get your perspective on um, – you know, as a former player, not sure if, you, if you've been through this before, but the idea of kind of all this stuff swirling around and, and having to deal with all yeah. of that as, you, as you're playing uh, a game like this. If there's anybody who's uh, equipped to answer this question, it has to be me. Again, yes. we talked about 20 years ago. Don't forget, I played under Paul Hackett. You know, mm -hmm. I like to talk about the latter part of my career under Pete Carroll, but the, the many you know, concerns about whether or not 
Paul Hackett is going to keep his job versus him losing his job. And even though we all kind of um, whispered it under our voices, and when he would leave the room, we would laugh and giggle like, dude, you're a dead man walking. The reality is it becomes a melancholy situation when it actually happens. And the guy that recruited you and you see every day, you, you're looking out of the window and you're watching him go to his car with a box in his hand. But for me, when I think about all the optics, now that I'm an employer and I have employees, and I think about writing a $20 million check and then also having to write an additional potential seven to $9 million if you're going after the likes of an Urban Meyer, all of a sudden that ticket becomes $30 million at a time when this university hasn't been exactly, you know, killing it in terms of fan uh, participation at the games. It just feels like it's a tough pill to swallow. And so if there is some smoke to the fact that perhaps Mike Boone is uh, like uh, Clay Helton is weighing on him favorably, the best thing that Clay Helton can do at this point is to be proactive. Fire Clancy Pendergast. Fire your special teams coach to demonstrate that not only did you make a wholesale change at the offensive coordinator position, look at the results I got there. If I just tweak my system and I bring in a new defensive coordinator, you know, perhaps now you can make a compelling argument that I'm the CEO that you wanted and I just needed more time and some support at the top to keep my job. I pray that that does not happen. I pray that they clean house. But at the same token, I can certainly see the narrative kind of swarming around that optic because it would be cheaper to get rid of one versus gutting the whole program. So when you think about that and what it means to this senior class, it's been white noise, clouded noise all season long. They are going to perform because they're not playing for Clay. They're playing for themselves, and they know what it means. Uh, these seniors who have aspirations of, of, of finishing their career on a high note against UCLA, and also those who aspire to go off and play in the National Football League, this game matters to them. And they are going to put their best foot forward, and they're not going to tolerate anything less than the, the focus from the underclassmen. But overall, if, you, if you're asking me my gut feeling, I think that there's a greater chance that Clay stays with um, consideration versus him being bought out. Yeah, a lot of questions still on that. I mean, there's the feeling for me a little bit of that, you know, the, the sunk cost fallacy kind of coming into play here a little bit when you talk about the money that you're going to spend. And I know it's not exactly kind of a one-to-one -one with that, but the money that you're going to spend, you have to weigh that a little bit against kind of what's coming down the road and, and what you're signing up for. I do as much as as many reasons as there would be to sort of move on. I do fully understand the idea that this year you're dealing. I mean, the, the injuries that you've dealt with, the schedule has not been easy. And the fact that you have a chance, you know, to stick around in the conference championship debate. I get that that's a strong argument. It would, boy, it would feel a lot stronger if this year was the year you're coming off the Pac-12 championship win and you're building with a quarterback and it's, okay, we struggled to an eight-win season. When you already have that five-win year kind of in your pocket and you wanted to kind of make a bigger jump than that, this didn't feel like a year where winning the Pac-12 South was, was an impossibility. And so I feel like that may be the, the strongest argument, coupled with the fact that 
I, I don't think if you make an announcement that he's coming back, that recruiting all of a sudden jumps. So this is a situation where you're going to have to deal with whatever comes in in that 2020 class. And then you're probably not going to have a whole lot of momentum to build the 2021 class during the spring months when, when a lot of these other programs are celebrating, you know, conference championships and, and national championship appearances and, and all that. So it, it's, it's definitely, I think, a gamble to go down that road. It's also a gamble to make a change and not get Urban Meyer and maybe have to settle for, you know, a, a C-list option if a lot of these guys, you know, maybe use the USC chase to stay at their jobs and get raises. Uh, at, at this point in the year, it's not like there's just a ton of openings as everybody kind of finishes their, their coaching season. So, so for, for me, so many questions about, about how this should go, how this could go, that it makes the aftermath of the UCLA game almost as interesting as the game itself. But for the game itself, we're going to dive back in a little bit, Greg. Let, let's go predictions. How, how do you see this game shaping up and the rivalry winner? Who, who brings home the victory bell this year? Well, first of all, let me just say that penalties are going to play a part in this game. They're going to give and take away, depending on what, what happens. You know, we were told by Clay Helton that he was in charge of discipline for the team. Now, I actually did take a look at the Pac-12 statistics for discipline, which translates to penalties. SC has the worst penalty average per game of any of the other 11 teams in the Pac-12. And that is alarming to me. But that being said, if SC plays as well as they can play, and UCLA plays as well as they can play, SC's going to win in a high-scoring game. All right, Daryl, how about you? How do you see this? I, I see it very similar. I, I see USC, again, you know, kind of building off the momentum of, of being on the road and finally figuring some things out, feeling good about themselves, but also how they've been played, with the exception of the Oregon game, at home. Uh, they've always been, with the exception of that outlier game, 10-point differential in terms of the points that they give up on the road versus playing at home. This is a spirited game. You know, the last three out of four games, Keaton Slovis has thrown for 400 yards. And in the last two games, what, eight touchdowns for one interception? I don't expect that streak to stop any, any anymore. But I do expect USC to play sound football. And for me, I think it's going to be one of those games where it's like 37, 37-21. Uh, just, I just see them getting off to a fast start. UCLA trying to make a little comeback, but just not being enough because um, despite USC's rush defense being in uh, 10th in the Pac-12, I do think that they figured some things out. I don't see another 290 or 89-yard game by Joshua Kelly, especially in the Coliseum. Yeah, I, I'm with you guys. I, I see a, a USC win, and maybe if it's close to the beginning, I feel like kind of decisive as Keaton Slovis throws the ball and USC receivers kind of establish themselves in this game. So we'll see how that plays out on Saturday. We'll see how things play out for USC, the, the football program going forward after that. So thank you for watching We Are SC Game Day as Eric McKinney, Greg Katz, Daryl Rideau take a look at UCLA's trip to the Coliseum to face USC. You're watching We Are SC.